right, we're in the fourth week of a series that we've been calling Fresh Start, and we've been hanging out in the Old Testament. Well, you just feel like you ought to be able to preach when you got a handheld mic. I don't know what, like, you feel like you should just dip it low and just get the hand going and screaming and hollering. But then I have to remind myself that we're 99.1% white, and you would just stand there and wouldn't amen me, wouldn't scream, wouldn't hoop, wouldn't holler, wouldn't do anything. And then I'd get frustrated, I'd go home, and I'd be sad. So we're not going to do that today hanging out in Nehemiah, and we're talking about this dude named Nehemiah and how if there was ever an example of someone getting a fresh start, it was Nehemiah. If you remember, Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, which simply meant before the king took a sip of his wine, Nehemiah took a sip. If he lived, the king drank the wine. If he died, the king didn't because the king knew he had been poisoned or someone was trying to poison him. Nehemiah had a government job. To prove what I've been saying about government jobs, I love when God gives me confirmation about how easy government jobs are. My wife and I go out to lunch this week, and I've been picking on Adam for his government job, and there they are, not doing any work, just eating like government employees deserve lunch or something. That was just confirmation to me this week that Nehemiah had it made. He was in the presence of the king all the time. He was comfortable. He probably was paid very well, and it was a good job until it's not a good job. Then Nehemiah runs into some people from the hometown back in the old school place, Jerusalem. He said, hey, how are things back home? I am convinced that Nehemiah didn't give two rips how things were going back home. He was making small talk. It's kind of like me when I ask you guys on Sunday morning, man, how's it going? Let's just be honest. I don't care how it's going. I'm thinking about my sermon. I'm thinking about what's going on. It's called small talk. And so Nehemiah is making small talk. Hey, what's going on back home? And then they look at him and say, man, back home's horrible. The walls are tore down. The people are in distress. They can't protect themselves. They can't import and export safely because they don't have walls around the city offering the protection that the walls offer. And when Nehemiah hears this, for whatever reason, I like to believe it was his God moment, his aha moment, if you will. God broke his heart over the conditions back home. Nehemiah goes back before the king and he cannot get past it. The Bible says, for some days he wept. For some days he prayed. When God places a burden on you that is your calling, you will not be able to move past it. There's a lot of things I see in life that move me in the moment, but I get over it. When I see Sarah McLaughlin crying and singing about dogs on the television, for a brief moment it moves me. And then I don't care, I move on. But there's some things that I hear about and God places the burden on my heart and I cannot let it go. I am 46 years old. 25 years ago this year, God placed on my heart a way to do church for those that don't do church. And I've never gotten over it. That's how you know you're calling versus just being moved by emotion. And Nehemiah is moved in his calling. He cannot let go of the fact that the walls are torn out. It is so obvious that Nehemiah is upset. It is so obvious that Nehemiah has a burden that he's in the presence of the king. And the king looks at him and says, what's wrong with you? Is something bothering you? It's obvious. He he had that look on his face. Do we know anybody, my wife, that just has that look on their face? And you can tell depending on what kind of mood they're in. 
You never have to worry with Christine. If she's smiling, she's in a good mood. She cannot fake a bad mood no matter how hard she tries. Some people are like that. Me, on the other hand, I'm always just smiles and giggles because that's just kind of guy I am, so you never know. But Nehemiah, he's broke right now. He's tore up right now. He's burdened right now. And the king says, what is wrong with you? And Nehemiah says, how can I not be upset? My hometown lies in ruins. My people are devastated. They're distraught. The king says, what is it you want me to do? And this was Nehemiah's moment. He could have been quiet and said, nothing, king. I'm just letting you know. He could have said something to the king, and literally the king could have killed him on the spot because here's the reality. The reason the hometown lied in ruins was because of the country that he was now king of. Nehemiah wasn't operated by fear. He was operated by vision. He said, if it pleases the king... And I have found favor in your eyes. Would you send me back to my hometown to rebuild the walls? And a vision was birthed. A fresh start was birthed. Nehemiah makes a trek a thousand miles away. But Nehemiah is smart. We talked about this last week. We talked about the importance of having a plan in your vision. Nehemiah said, hey, I need some things from you, king. It's not enough for you just to send me. He said, I need you to give me a letter where I can travel safely. There was no airplane in this time. There was no car. There was no train. There was no boat that was going to get him there. He was going to have to travel a thousand miles on foot to get there. And he was going to go through some different and, um, some, uh, different countries, some different cities during that time. And when he was worried that when the people found out why he was returning to Jerusalem, that they were going to kill him thinking he was going in case I need a letter saying I can go do this. He said, when I get there, I need a letter to the keeper of your forest that says I can cut down timber because, king, it's your timber to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah had a plan. He had a vision. And that's what happens when God calls you to do something. Now, Nehemiah is on the fast track right now. You think everything would be going good at this moment, and that's how it is on that fresh start. I set some goals for myself at the beginning of 2023. And I got to be real honest with you, 21 days in, I'm in the zone right now. 21 days in, things are clicking right now. 21 days in, I have put on some big events already this year. I, I'm getting my health dialed in. I'm getting my emotional mind dialed in. I'm getting my spiritual, my time with God is as good probably as it has ever been. Mentally, physically, I don't know physically, I'm trying to get there. Spiritually, though, emotionally, relationally, I'm in a good place 21 days in. A lot of times when God calls you to do something, it will start amazingly. You'll be riding the big mo. Momentum, man. And the wave of momentum is a powerful tool. So much has been accomplished. You're simply riding momentum. And momentum is the greatest drug in life. It's the ultimate high. And you think when you have the momentum and you think when you have the calling and you think when you have the plan, you would think everyone around you would be excited about what you're called to do. But they're not. What happens as the momentum is going? What happens as you're accomplishing your vision and you're accomplishing your goals? Suddenly those who don't have the testicular fortitude to chase their own visions those who are content with the status quo, those who like things the way they are, will suddenly come out of the woodwork and begin to criticize what it is you're trying to do. Somebody say amen. 
Here's the amazing thing about that. It will not, and we're going to talk about this today, it will not only come from the outside, it will come from the inside. Sometimes the people you think will be your biggest supporters will be your biggest critics. You think they want you to succeed, but they simply don't. Someone told me recently, and I wasn't trying to be an a-hole when I said this, and I wasn't trying to talk down to the person when I said this. They said, I just don't get it. I never have critics. And I said, of course you don't, because you've never accomplished anything. I wasn't trying to be mean to the person. I wasn't trying to talk down to them. The simple fact is, is when you step out to do something, there will be people that come along and criticize what you're doing, no matter how pure your motives are, no matter how pure your heart is, no matter how good your intentions are. They do not want to see you succeed. And you need to accept that fact today. You need to embrace that fact today. You can act like you can fight that fact, but you cannot go around critics. You cannot go over critics. You cannot go under critics. You cannot go through critics. You will deal with critics. The key is you've got to learn how to deal with critics. And it's so vital. It's so important. Because nothing will derail a fresh start like naysayers. Nothing will derail a fresh start like that feeling of those who believe in you back that up. Those who should believe in you attacking you. The problem is whenever you move forward for for God, the opposition is always going to show up. Let me repeat that. That's not a sometimes thing. My my counselor has told me that when my wife and I are discussing things, that I should not swipe in broad strokes. You always do this. You never do this. So I've been working on not swiping in broad strokes, but let me swipe in a very broad stroke right here for a moment. Whenever you move forward for God, the opposition will always show up. And sure enough, Nehemiah hits the scene. He's at Jerusalem. He's got the king's blessing. He's got the king's backing. He's got the means to rebuild the wall and bring peace and bring strength to the city. You would think that every single person there would be overjoyed that Jerusalem is going to return to it's going to have the opportunity to return to its former glory. You think the people would be excited that the import industry will start thriving and the export industry will start thriving. You would think they would be excited that they can operate with um, in safety and security, that they can protect their families, that they can provide for their families. You would think everyone would be rejoiced. You would think when Nehemiah tells them about the hand of God, and he says, hey, let's build. They'd be like, hell yes, let's build. And most of them did, but not all of them. Believe it or not, there was critics who came out during this time. There was people who opposed during this time. The Bible goes in Nehemiah chapter 4, and we'll get to there in a little bit. It begins to talk about some people, a guy named Sam Ballot. About a guy named Geshem, a guy named Tobiah, and they came out and they began to mock Nehemiah. Here's what you need to understand. Those who are benefiting from your discomfort 
don't want to see you succeed. Those who are manipulating you in your unhealthy state don't want you to get healthy because it benefits them. They're not the problem. You are. They refuse to get healthy, so they don't want you to get healthy. Tobiah, Geshem, Sembalat, they were kind of like the mob in this situation. They were, they were hustling the people. They were providing a false security for the people. They were manipulating the people. They were twisting the people. They were running roughshod over the people. And Nehemiah shows up on the scene and begins to rally the people. And they don't like it. They were trying to guard their power. They were trying to guard their financial interests. They were trying to guard their benefit. They knew that if everyone benefited, they didn't benefit. Whenever you move forward for God, don't miss this. The enemy wants to stop you. And that's a hard pill to swallow for some people because you would think everyone would be excited about what you're called to do. You would think everyone would get pumped up about what you're called to do. I mean, you're wanting to make the world a better place. You're wanting to make your marriage a better place. You're wanting to make your finances a better place. You're wanting to make your purpose a better place. You're wanting to make a better place for your children. Who would be opposed to that? But mark my words, they'll be opposed. They want to see you get healthy. They like the fact that you need them. Mm. M.I. chapter 4. I want to talk to you today on how to deal with discouragement from the opposition. Because I'm just going to be honest with you. It is discouraging. It's frustrating. You're on this high. You're on fire. And they're trying to throw water on you. You want them to celebrate and rejoice with you and be excited for you. You're not even necessarily asking them to be part of it. You just want them to be excited for you. It sounds really cheesy, and it doesn't necessarily sound like the most manly thing, but we thrive on encouragement. We want people excited about what we're doing. I recently put on an event, and during that event, my brother-in-law was messaging me the whole time and encouraging me. And the next day, he sent me a text, and I went to my wife. I said, I said, man, I said, you wouldn't believe all the messages Brandon sent me jacked up about the event last night. Now, here's the deal, and I'm not trying to be mean. At the end of the day, the event was great whether Brandon liked it or not. But the fact that he was sending me messages, I must have said something to my wife four times about it. I said, man, Brandon sent me this idea. How cool is that? Hey, Brandon said this. I was excited that he was excited. We thrive on encouragement. I'm a pretty hard person. I like to say I don't need encouragement. I don't need encouragement, but it's nice to have it. And I don't really allow because I'm kind of the king of dealing with it. I'm not good at much, but I know how to deal with critics. But I would be lying if I told you there's not time that critics frustrate me. There's times they beat me down. We're trying to run a shelter. Got 12, 13 people in here on cold nights. 
And Facebook, instead of people thanking us, they're telling us how we can do it better. It gets frustrating. If I allow it to frustrate me, I'm in control of my mind. I'm in control of my thought process. No one else gets to dictate my emotions, but I'm human. I know you find that amazing, but I am human. I know for so many of you men, especially, I am the epitome of manliness to you and as close to perfection as you have ever seen. But at the end of the day, I am a man. Okay? And if you don't believe that, just ask your wife. She will confirm that that is true, okay? So, I am the standard at which you're judged. It is okay. But I'm still human. But I'm still human. We have an enemy. I know this is kind of weird, but we have an enemy. And he's real. And we live in a day and time where songs and Hollywood and videos and different things have kind of downplayed Satan. We've turned him into an old man smoking a cigar. We've turned him into a laughing stock, but he's an enemy who's real. And the Bible says, listen, he has one mission. The Bible says his mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. Everything that is the heart of God, it is his mission. He detests you following your dreams. He detests you following your passions. The Bible says he walks around like a roaring lion looking to see who he can devour. I like that. It says he's looking. He can't devour everyone. He's like a lion. He's walking around. He's stalking his prey. Say, man, that one's weak and ready to be attacked. By the way, he's a lion. Cat family. There's your proof that cats are from Satan. Here, I'm not coming to church. He's going to talk about cats. Go read the comments on that post. People talking about how horrible their cats were. Why? Because from their pits, from, from the pits of hell. They're descendants of Satan, lion, cat, evil. They're stalking you in your sleep, and they're going to kill you one day. Trust me. That's a free sermon today. Whenever you move forward to do something God's called you to do, your spiritual enemy is going to attack you. Nehemiah had done his diligence. He had put the work in. He had the blessing of the palace. He sacrificed his Cush government job doing nothing to go a thousand miles and rebuild the wall. You would think if anybody wasn't facing opposition, it would be Nehemiah, but that's wrong. You're writing notes down or taking pictures on the screen, write this down. We don't face opposition because we're doing something wrong. We face opposition when we're doing something right. We do not face opposition because we're doing something wrong. We face opposition when we're doing something right. Because wrong hates right. The enemy hates for you to live a life of freedom. The devil wants you to live in bondage enslaved to your past, enslaved to your addictions, enslaved to your hurts, enslaved to your hang-ups, enslaved 
to all the things, hurts, habits, and hate, all the things that keep you bound up. But Christ said, I have come that they may live life and live it to abundance. Live a life of freedom. God created us to be free men, free women. Not tethered to the rules of society. Doing what God called us to do, and the enemy hates that. I know what you're saying as you read that. You're like, man, that's good news because I'm under attack. It is good news today. I actually get worried. I've actually told Christine this before on many occasions. I'm worried about the church. And she'd be like, what do you mean? Everything's going good. I said, that's right. Everything's going good. There's no drama right now. There's nobody opposing what we're doing. There's nobody trying to rally the troops to get rid of me. It gets me worried. Because it makes me think maybe we're not doing what we're called to do. Because if we're doing what we're called to do, there ought to be people mad. The enemy should hate this place. Here I'm facing a lot of opposition right now. Good! Maybe you're doing what you're supposed to do. If you're not doing anything of significance, why would your spiritual enemy care? You give two rips. This church constantly faces opposition. People don't like what we stand for. They don't like the fact that we refuse to allow religion to step in here. They can't stand that we love people right where they're at. They can't stand that we're not about the business of church. Not our vision, our desire to be the biggest, the prettiest. Thank God, because we definitely fell in that area. The smartest. Simply to go after those that are outsiders and make them insiders. Talking to someone recently who goes to a very large church, and I love this guy, and he was telling me, he said, man, we're about to buy 25 moving lights. That's cool. I like moving lights. Cool. And he said, we already got 50. It's going to give us 75 moving lights. And I said, how many people you think come in your church and are like, cool, moving lights, I'm staying here? Well, what do you mean? He's like, they move. I was like, yeah, I get that. I mean, we got one, two, we have four, and they haven't been hooked up in a year and a half. We don't know how to hook them up. I don't even know really where they came from. I think Rich left them up there. I don't, I don't know that anybody's ever come in this church and been like, I'm not coming back because there was no moving lights. I'm not against moving lights. I think it sounds awesome. I wish we had unlimited money. We could buy all kinds of moving lights, not for church, but for all the events I do. That'd be cool. I just think we're focused on the wrong things. Instead of focusing on people, it's how many lights we can have. Opposition will come. Most people don't remember this. Most of you weren't. I don't even know that anybody is here, actually. Is there anybody that goes to this church that was here when we were in the art center? Anybody at all? Five of you, you suckers. <laughs> Boy, are gluttons for punishment. We're meeting in the art center. And I get a note. They wouldn't tell me face to face. It was a note on the door when we got there. Hey, there's some people not happy you're meeting here. This will have to be your last Sunday. 
who wouldn't be happy that a church was meeting there? I mean, even those that don't go to church, why would they care? I think we had 40 people at the time. We had one week to find a place to meet. We found the place next door, opposition. People trying to fight you, what you feel called to do. Instead of cheering you on, they'll be mad about it. I know we didn't face opposition at the art center because we were doing something wrong. Faced opposition because we were doing something right. God forbid a preacher pick himself up and say, hey, all that second chance BS that I preached for years, I actually believe it. They'd rather tuck tail and run. Today after the story, I want to show you two different ways that Nehemiah faced opposition. Because mark my words, you're going to face opposition. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And if you do not know how to deal with opposition, you're never going to get that fresh start. The first thing I want you to do is you're taking notes, you need to understand this. Your enemy will attempt to discourage you from the outside. Your enemy will attempt to discourage you from the outside. He will use external forces that come along and try to derail you from the vision that you're called to do. You're called to go create something, build something, do something. If something comes along and takes your interest away from that, you were excited about it, but now suddenly it's not the time to do it. Maybe it was the time to do it. Maybe it wasn't the time to get distracted by other things. I don't know. Only you can answer that question. You can clearly see in Nehemiah for he's building the wall and the enemy show up. Look what happens. The Bible says when Simbalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and greatly incensed. Why? He's rebuilding the wall. The vitality of the city depended on the wall. We've been watching Game of Thrones, my wife and I, and all about the walls when they go to work. She's like, man, I finally see what you're talking about. Yeah, the cities were encompassed by walls. He became angry. Isn't it amazing you'll feel called to do something that doesn't even affect people and they become angry with you? Like, how does this even impact you? A buddy of mine launched a new venture this week and literally people come like, well, why is he doing that? I'm like, why do you care? Like, literally, how does it affect you? other than the fact that you're miserable and not chasing your dreams and not doing what you feel called to do so you get mad when someone else does and I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. That really is at the end of the day. If you don't like it, don't support it. Like, why would you get mad about it? Because you're a loser. You think I'm talking about you? I probably am. That's called the Holy Spirit of God convicting you. If you don't think I'm talking about you, I'm probably not. They became greatly incensed. And look what it says. And he ridiculed the Jews. They'll make fun of you. They'll mock you. Oh, here goes so-and-so with another idea. How'd the last three work out? Maybe he learned during those last three. He can't figure out what he wants to do. 
know what they're working on that marriage for. We know where it's going to be at again in three months, same place it was three months ago. They're going to try to get their finances in order. Why? The way they spend money? Good luck trying to wrangle those kids and teach them some principles. They'll begin to ridicule you. They'll begin to mock you. They'll begin to make fun of you because it's easy to tear things down. I always talk about this. When we built out this building, I was awesome with the sledgehammer. I could swing that joker and knock down walls. When it came time to build, man, I had to go into supervisor mode. I had to show Doug what to do. I didn't know how to build anything, but boy, I could tear it down. They'll ridicule you. They made fun of him. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? That's my voice. The only voice I have, sorry. Christine says, all my accents sound the same. I just picture them as a bunch of inbred hillbillies because inbred hillbillies are the type of people that mock you. What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Oh, they're going to offer sacrifices? <laughs> Will they finish it in a day? Can they bring these stones back to life? The heaps of rubble burned as they are. What's he going to do? He don't know anything about that. He's never even been involved in that. You know how many times he's been married? Well, maybe he learned during those marriages. Sorry that you're in your 40-year marriage and haven't had sex in five years and basically roommates with your spouse and haven't learned anything but praise you for being married for 40 years. Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry. I don't know what he's trying with this child. The first two are crazy. Well, maybe he learned or maybe she learned. bunch of hillbillies criticizing Nehemiah for wanting to do something. You can't do that. That's stupid. He, he, his job was to drink wine. What does he know about construction? What does she know about controlling her temper? What does he know about business? What do they know about raising kids? What do they know about getting their finances in order? Boy, the opposition will come along and they will ridicule you. Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? If even a fox climbs on it, it would break down the walls of stone. He's like, look at that stupid wall. What are they going to do? A fox jumps on there, it's going to fall. Just mocking them, ripping them up. You'll face enemies from the outside, opposition from the outside, criticism from the outside. Notice this, you'll face obstacles from the outside. You're moving forward. You're making progress. Then you move into the art center, and they throw you out after a week. There's obstacles along the way. You come rent the building next door, and you're looking at it, and it's 7,500 square feet, and you think it's amazing. And you're stupid. 
because you've never had a church with a building. So you move everybody inside that building. You didn't know you had to have a building permit to do construction. You didn't know you had to have a CO, certificate of occupancy, to meet in there. And so you have one service over there, and you show up the next week, and there's this red tag on the front door. You don't know what a red tag is. So you throw it away. Because why would you read it? And you meet in there the second week. And suddenly a building inspector rolls up. A building inspector who only works Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, by the way. He says, we've been getting a lot of phone calls about you meeting here. I said, a lot of phone calls from who? Like, who cares? There's 30 of us. Just a lot of phone calls. You can't meet here. Didn't you see that red tag in the door? I said, oh, I thought that was just like a welcome to Canton sign. So you meet outside in the parking lot for six months. Obstacles. People fighting you. People not wanting to see you succeed. There are obstacles along the way. Then an amazing thing happened as you begin to build out. You didn't realize that it actually cost money to build things out. All that stuff was free because it was for the Lord. It's not. And obstacles come along the way. And then there's one bathroom over there with one toilet, and you thought, well, man, that's good enough. Everybody can pee in the same toilet, and apparently there's codes on that. I didn't know about that. Then you build it out, and you realize, man, we built 7,500 square feet. It's one big room, and there's actually no place for children. Probably should have thought about that. So you get this genius idea to park some school buses behind the building. Parents checked their kids in at a door. Once the parents walked away, we threw the kids in the school bus. Kids would come out and be like, there's a school bus theme. It's amazing. No, it's a school bus. And the kids loved it. It had hardwood floors in it and flat screens, and it was awesome. And that looked awesome until about July. And it became a literal long baking tube, and we were literally cooking children in there, like Hansel and Gretel. An obstacle along the way. There'll be obstacles that come along to your vision. It could be that God spoke to you. And like I said, you've decided we're going to get out of debt. What a great goal. What a great goal. Man, I I am convinced more than ever you control your finances, you control your life. I mean, you are pumped up about the goal. You got Dave Ramsey tattooed on your forearm. Second week car repair, $832. An obstacle from the outside. It's like one step forward, two steps back. It's okay. It's going to happen. Talking to a lady, she said, I just decided that I was going to operate my business with Christian principles. She said, in three months, I lost every one of my employees. Because I wasn't shoving God down. I just wanted to be honest and caring and love people when they came through here and treat them with respect. They couldn't do that. You're doing something for God. Expect obstacles. Because your enemy doesn't attack when you're doing something wrong. Of course he's going to come after your marriage. Of course he's going to come after your children. Of course he's going to come after your testimony. Of course he's going to come after your finances. He wants you frustrated, broke, busted, and disgusted, discouraged, angry at God, because that's what we do. He loves it when he derails you. He doesn't want you on fire. 
Wait, he wants you so frustrated right now. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I love you, and I'm so glad you're a part of this church once every five weeks when you decide to come. But I laugh when you post about all the opposition because I'm like, he's about to learn. I like the opposition because it lets me know you're about to do something good. If it was easy, I'd be like, he's missed the calling. Now, I'm not laughing because you have to deal with it, but I know it's something big. And I'm glad it's frustrating right now. You're not following Wade. You should go follow Wade. I believe God is about to use him in big ways, and I like watching it transpire. Not that I'm not rooting for him. I'm rooting for him huge because I believe he's got the ability to do it. But I'm glad it's not smooth selling. If it was smooth selling, everybody would do it. Vision worth having is a vision worth working for. Two steps forward, three steps back. You'll face not only obstacles from the outside, you'll face criticism from the outside. Write that down. Criticism from people you've never met, never heard of, don't know. All of a sudden, they're criticizing you. David came to me one time, and he was like, do you know so-and-so? I said, I don't know so-and-so. They're in leadership in a certain city. I said, I don't know them. He goes, man, she knows you. She does not like you. And I said, man, I, I said, can you show me a picture of her? I said, maybe I do know her. I just don't know her name. He showed me a picture. I said, I've never met this lady in my life. And then he said, well, she loves Bubba. I said, well, that's her problem right there. Don't like me. Doesn't know me. She only knows what she's heard. And she's probably only heard that from people who, guess what, don't like me. Say, what do you do about that? I don't care. I don't care about criticism from the outside. You get excited about doing something significant on the back, on behalf of God. And people you don't know begin to criticize you. Someone told me recently, this a few months ago, I said, man, I just want to foster children. Go foster children. Well, I was at school with my kids, and I told someone that, and a few minutes later, I heard one say, she can't raise the two she's got. I said, well, does that lady know anything about how you raise your kids? She said, no. I said, then who cares? She don't know you. I guarantee you, if I was to peel back the onion on that, the lady who said that has the worst kids there. I've learned that whatever we attack the most is normally the issue that we struggle with the most. The pastor who's just so insanely consumed preaching about homosexuality, almost with hatred, he's always the one that comes out as gay. The pastors, after I had my affair and lost everything, there was two pastors that were almost obsessed with me. This is back in the day of blogs. Man, they would blog every day for months. Both of them, I'm not saying this number, it's just the way I have, both of them came out that they were having affairs. See, they had to cover up their wrong by attacking someone else to deflect from them. You leave that higher paying job because God's telling you and leading you to a lower paying job. Some place that's going to use your gifts and some place that's going to use your calling. And everybody's like, what are you smoking? What is he doing? People you don't even know. You'll face criticism from the outside. 
People meet Christ and they get excited about the things of God. And people get mad at him about it. Crazy. If you want to change the world, if you want to do something significant, if you want to be a leader, you need to accept the fact that criticism is part of the deal. If you cannot handle criticism, you will never achieve anything. It's that simple. Because if you're achieving anything of substance, there will be criticism. It might be small criticism. It might be mocking criticism. It might not be all over social media criticism, but it's going to come. So what do they do? As you read the text, you'll see a couple things. I didn't put the text up there. You need to go read Nehemiah 4. As they heard the the criticism, Nehemiah heard the criticism. The first thing he did (laughs) is he just got back to work. He just got back to work. He didn't allow the criticism to affect him. There's a part in that Bible, in the story, I don't know why I didn't put it in the screen. And like, hey, come on down, we want to meet with you. And he's like, why should I come down and meet with you? I'm doing a good work. See, the devil loves when you start responding to the critics. He loves when you get focused in responding on social media. He loves when you want to meet with them because you're just going to, let me tell you something, you can't convince them they're wrong. So you're wasting your time. I'm not trying to be offensive when I say this. It's just a phrase I've used forever, and this word is in the King James Version of the Bible. I always say ignore the jackasses. Why would you allow them to come after you? You know my criteria. Do they know you? Do they believe in you? Do they love you? If you don't meet those three criteria, you don't get to come from the outside and question what I do. Let me rephrase that. You get to do whatever you want to do. It's just not going to affect me. I don't know you, I don't care. If I do know you, but you don't believe in me, I don't care. If you believe in me, but you don't love me, I don't care. Because if you don't love me, you don't have my best interest in mind. Well, it's going to come from the outside. Gary, does Christmas ever bother you? Yeah, of course. I'm human. There's times it bothers me. There's times, believe this or not, that I have to get off social media for like four minutes and breathe. Yeah, it bothers me sometimes. 46 years old, been dealing with it. Like when I started the church here 18 years ago, we actually had another church come out and protest outside our services. I've been dealing with it forever. I'm used to it. But there's times I want to respond. But all you do is just, you take that little anthill and make it a mountain. I used to tell my wife all the time when we first got married, it was new to her. She wanted to defend her husband, rightfully so. I get that. I said, don't engage with him. You might find this surprising. She's not normally one to hold her tongue. I said, don't engage with him. Who cares? Now she's learned not to engage with him. Who cares? You know what drives them the most crazy? Is when you ignore them. I've got this video guy that does videos, and, and this guy, literally, people tell me in my industry, like, this guy's obsessed. They're like, what did you do to this guy? I got a message yesterday. I said, what do you mean? They said, the guy's obsessed with you. Every video he puts out on YouTube is criticizing everything you do. What did you do to him? I said, the only thing I can think of is about a year and a half ago, I just quit acknowledging him. I used to engage with him when he would say stuff. I would share his posts, even though I'd be like, go look at this idiot who's making it, and people would go in there, and he was getting attention. 
He was getting hundreds and hundreds of views. I quit engaging with him, and last time I looked, he had 11 views. He wants me to engage with him because it brings him attention. I refused. Someone said, go listen. I said, I don't want to listen. There's a reason I unfollowed him. But thank you for listening, all 11 of you. And don't engage with them. They want you to engage with them. Your enemy will come from the outside. The funny thing is, I've only met this guy one time. He came into town to come to one of my shows. When he came into town, I put him up in a hotel, took him to lunch, bought him a gas card to get back home, made him feel like a king at our show. This is the so-and-so who runs. I was nice to him. Give them a kindness. They hate that. I don't even know him, though. I've literally met him one time. Of all the things to be obsessed over, like me, crazy. That shows how pathetic his life is. But it comes from the outside. But here's the other catcher, and I've got to get out of here. You're going to deal with being discouraged from the inside. The outside is almost the easiest to ignore because at the end of the day, they're on the outside. They don't know you and you don't understand it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But those that are on the inside, those that are supposed to believe in you, those that are supposed to encourage you, those that you think would be the most excited for you, those that you think would be your biggest cheerleaders, when they come along and they criticize or they discourage, it can be defeating. It can be deflating. Outsiders came, Sam Ballot, Tobiah, Geshem. But look at the insiders, verse 10. This is someone coming to talk to Nehemiah. They're talking here. It says, the strength of our laborers are giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot build the wall. Catch this, catch this, catch this. Go back and do the timeline. This was only 26 days after they were excited, saying, let's rebuild the wall. Yes, Nehemiah's come, the king's hands on him, he's excited, let's do it. And 26 days later, they're frustrated. They're discouraged. They're ready to give up. They thought it was going to happen overnight. And that's the problem with so many of you dream chasers. You think it's going to happen overnight. Fresh start doesn't happen overnight. You don't get your health in control in 30 days when it took you 20 years to get there. You don't rebuild your marriage in 30 days when it took you 15 years to get to the point it's at. You don't get out of debt when it took you 20 years to get in debt in two months. You get frustrated along the way and you allow others inside. Why? This is my favorite. Why are you worried about you only live once? Why are you worried about your health? Because I only live once. I ain't looking to die. Look, I'm, I'm excited about heaven. Cool. Can't wait to prove everybody wrong when I roll through the gates. Surprise! But I don't want to do that yet. I love life. I want to live to 140. I want to live forever. I, mean, I love life. Man, 
Are you worried about your finances? Go buy that. I want to buy it, but I don't want to owe on it. I don't want to spend the rest of my life killing myself to pay for it. When the cash is there, I'll buy it. Some of my dreams are so big that the cash will probably never be there, so we're good. Man, the inside. When you're doing something significant, he will come at you from the outside, but he knows the knockout blow comes from the inside. I've learned a little bit about fighting lately. But on this fight league, thought it was just two rednecks in a bar fighting. I always love it when everybody knows some big red. Oh, Jim Bob ought to come fight with you. That 140-pound kid will take Jim Bob out in 2.3 seconds because he understands the art of fighting. And fighting, you jab. And you jab. And you jab. That's the outside. Then you got to go for that uppercut. That's the knockout blow. But you set up the knockout blow with the jabs. I believe the enemy comes and jabs you from the outside. It bothers you. And he jabs you from the outside and it bothers you. And he jabs you from the outside and it bothers you. But at the end of the day, you know those are people who don't know you. So while it bothers you, it doesn't knock you out. But you focus on it and you get weak and your sides are hurting. And all of a sudden you drop your hands and that insider comes in and he throws that uppercut that you least expected from the person that should care about you. And it knocks you out. That's good preaching if a white boy is doing it. I'm preaching to myself right now. That was good. Man, the inside blow comes and it knocks you out. Golly. They've been down for 140 years in Jerusalem. If anybody should be excited, the walls getting rebuilt, it should be them. It benefits them. Nehemiah had a cush job. He didn't need to go back a thousand miles away. He's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for them. And now they're ready to call it quits. Had to be deflating. I get it. From the inside, my mom used to say, boy, I used to pray you'd get your life in order, but I didn't. I must have prayed too hard. I didn't, I didn't know you was going to be in ministry. Deflating. People will come along and be like, how many more businesses are you going to start? As many as I freaking want to. It don't affect you. You stay at a job you hate for the rest of your life. Cool. I ain't doing it. I refuse to ever. I've never had a job in my life, a real job. And I refused that. Well, that's a lie. I worked at Taco Bell and Dairy Queen when I was like 16. And I worked at Best Buy for like three weeks, and I was stealing TVs out of the back. I had this great system that was good for like three weeks until I got caught. So I gave up on real jobs. I do whatever I want to do. Someone said, you need to become content. I am content. Content to do whatever I want to do career-wise. I don't understand. My mom used to always tell me. I used to pastor a church. 1,400, 1,500 people showed up every Sunday morning in a movie theater. My mom would call us. She'd be like, are you okay financially? They'd be like, well, yeah, you know, they pay me, right? Well, I just, I, I, my prayer is one day you'll get a real church. What she meant was a church with a building. I said, you know, Mom, there's a lot of people come to this church. I know, but I need you to be a real church. That would provide security. I said, a building? 
you got kids now, Gary. I said, you know, if we had a building, we'd probably have a $20,000 a month note. Here we got a $1,000 a week note in this movie theater. And it's comfortable. The seats are cool and we get popcorn. It was great. Her mind, she couldn't comprehend it. It was always deflating to me. Or, or, or they'll say, I love what you do. I just, I just wish you would wipe your mouth a little bit. Like that's what you focus on? Just deflating sometimes. Criticism will come from the inside. You want to step out and leave your cush job and go chase your dreams? You think your spouse would be excited. A lot of times they're the one. Now, in their defense, you haven't given enough security to understand what you're going to go do. But if you've done that and they don't want to do people ask me all the time, what does Christine think about XYZ that you're doing? I, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way towards Christine. Most of the time she's the last to find out. Because I just forget to tell her. Say, so how does she respond? She doesn't respond in any way. Here's why. Because in ten years, we've never not had money in the bank. In ten years, a bill's never not been paid. In 10 years, I've never looked at her and said, we can't go on vacation because we can't afford it. I've earned the right of her trust. Now, I should have enough respect to let her know before I let everyone else know, but I get excited sometimes to post it on Facebook before I tell her. It just happens. I'm using the bathroom and the Lord moves while I'm on the phone and I post it. I forget to tell her. It just happens. Strength of the labors are giving out. It'll come from the inside. So what do you do when that happens? Look what it says. After I looked things over, this is now Nehemiah talking. Sam Balak, Geshem, Tobias come, the people on the inside, 26 days in. Uh, not even a month, and that's why casting vision is so important. That's why feeding vision in your soul is so important. I like to say vision leaks. You ever seen a helium balloon? And how it just starts to go to the ground? You never really see it start to fall. All of a sudden, it's just laying on the ground. Because helium leaks out of it. That's what happens with vision. You're not feeding yourself enough on the vision and it starts to leak out and goes away. 26 days in, they're frustrated. And look what it says. Nehemiah said, I looked things over. I like that. He stopped. He looked things over. He evaluated the situation. Is there any truth to what's going on? Let me check it out. And he said, I stood up to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people. Oh, I dig that. He rallies them all together. He said, let me... Meet with y'all for a minute. And look what he says. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. Do not worry about them. Do not worry about those who do not like what you're doing. Do not worry about those that are hating you. Do not worry about those that are criticizing you. Because here's the reality of the situation. Those that are criticizing you weren't going to support you anyway. So who cares what they think? I don't know why he's doing that. What does it matter? You weren't going to buy it anyway. But I guarantee if he gave you a freebie to check out, you'd have used it. Mm. Don't worry about them. Who cares? Ignore them. They don't want the wall rebuilt. We're not going to focus on those that are against us. We're going to focus on those that are for us. Your spouse don't like your vision? I Listen, 
Your spouse don't like your vision? Ignore them. If you have answered the questions and you know it can work, I didn't say leave them, but ignore them. I'm so blessed in that area. But if I wasn't, I'm going to do what I feel, and I expect her to do the same thing. Never going to be the person to derail what she feels a vision in her life. How stupid. Ignore them. Ignore them. Don't be afraid of them. You know you're called. Someone says it's just hard to get healthy. My spouse doesn't want to get healthy. Ignore them. You're not responsible for their actions. Every time I start to get to lose weight, he gets insecure. Ignore him. That's his issue. I want to get my finances in order and they don't. Get separate accounts then. I don't have separate accounts for my wife, but here's the deal. If I didn't spend money right, and she wanted to save up money and do things right, we both make our own money, she shouldn't have to pay for me not wanting to do it right. Ignore them. I have family members now that I do not go to. Not, I don't hate them. I'm not mad at them. But I don't go to them about certain business endeavors I'm doing. Why? Because they're just going to be frustrating or discouraging about it. Or they're going to give me their vision for what I'm called to do. It's not their vision. So I've just learned over the years I don't go to them. Why get upset about it? Ignore them. Do not be afraid of them. The more you follow your dreams, the more success you'll see. It's amazing how many more people will jump on that bandwagon, by the way. Then we said, he said, don't be afraid of them. He gives you two things. He says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Then look what he says. He says, fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives. Fight for your homes. I don't know about you, man, but I'm out in the crowd, and Nehemiah stands up, and he's on the broken down wall, and we've been rebuilt, so it's half built, and the rest is rubble, and these people have been coming in attacking, and I'm tired, and I'm ready to give up, and this mofo, and I picture him like Kirby Smart up there. I picture every other word being a cuss word, and he's telling me, he said, hey, remember the Lord! He's probably dropping an F-bomb in the middle of that, and people are getting offended, and hey, he shouldn't say that. I'm just like, Yes! He said, fight! This wall changes our lives. Fight! Boy, he does that. I'm ready to grab a water gun and charge the gates of hell. That's a leader. Look what he said. He says, remember the Lord. He said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. You're frustrated. You're getting beat up. They're criticizing you. You remember the God who called you to do what you're doing. The same God who got you to the point today will get you to that point tomorrow. 
The same God who took you through the fire will get you through whatever's coming. The same God who's got you through the valley time after time after time will get you through the valley this time. Hey, when you didn't have nothing and didn't know how to pay your bills and all of a sudden God provided, that God is the God who will provide again. When you stepped out in faith and didn't know what you were doing and God said, I, I take care of the fools and the idiots and he used you that same God. You got to go back and remember where God's brought you from to get to where you want to go the next time. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has the hairs on your head numbers. Where God leads, God feeds. You have gotten over what God's done. This ain't the first time God's got you through something. Marriage is bad right now. Guess what? Marriages get bad sometimes. Go back to the last time it was bad. Remember how God got you through it. Money's a little tight right now. Go back and remember when God, it's getting towards the end of my non-festival season. The way my life works is I get my last check the last week in November and I don't get paid again until about April. And we're good. But money gets, starts to get a little bit tight. The dad tells Chris, I said, hey, whoa, how much are we spending? I never do that. What's going out? Pull up the account, and I'm like, oh, my God. But a little anxiety set in for about 2.3 seconds. Now, it only set in long enough until till I wanted fajitas, and I didn't care how much money was in the account, and we were good again. But you know what I simply did? I breathed for a second. I remembered the Lord. And I remember this is about my eighth year of doing this, and I remembered last February or getting into March how God provided. And I remembered in... 2020, when there wasn't any events going on, and God provided. And I go back to 2016 when I started the very first barbecue and brews, and money got real tight, and God provided. And I just remember how good God is. And when Christine's being mean and she's wrong like she was this morning, I go back and I remember, oh, the other time she's been mean and she's been wrong, and how God strengthened us during that time. How God humbled her during that time to come apologize to me and tell me that she was wrong. You've got to remember the Lord sometimes. you got to go back and remember that when you had nothing, God made you something. I love hearing the stories behind the success. I don't want to hear the success. I want to hear the story behind it. I want to hear about how you had nothing I, li- I didn't even ask this permission. I like, I like Sierra when she's, she talks about she was a single mom running a bar at a golf course. Nothing wrong with running a bar at a golf course. not what I'm saying. But that's not where she's at today. Not where she's at financially today. You go back and remember those days. That's good. I love it. I love the other day. Hey, this happens to me all the time. I say, man, you fight night. Put on this fight. First time I ever done it, some guy came to me and said, man, you're an overnight success. I said, uh-huh. 25 years in the making. I've been putting on events for 25. I built a church on events. You've just never heard of me. But I've been doing this forever. What takes place in that ring is easy. It's the structure everywhere else that I've learned. And it's not always a win. Sometimes you lose. I lost Saturday night at an award show. Won an award for three years in a row and lost it. 
Saturday night, I was pissed. I knew I was going to lose, and I really didn't care. I told Buss, I didn't try this year. I'm going to lose until I lost. Now I'm mad as hell. You're going to lose sometimes along the way. But you know what I do? I go back and remember. So I decided I'm going to win the next three years. I was going to shut it down, but I ain't going to shut it down now because I'm going to win the next three years because the guy got up on stage and took a shot at me when he won. But I remember the Lord. You got to remember the Lord. You forget about the Lord. How many of you have been married five years? Five years, longer than five years. Longer than 10, 15, 20, I can't see nothing. 25, 30. Who's out there with their hand in the middle? You put up a Richard that long? Golly. Go back and remember all the times God got you through things. How many of you lost everything financially before? More than once. Remember when God got you through it? How many ever had children that gave you problems? Remember God got you through it? How many of you ladies at one time or another, sorry, I got to put these lights up where I can see, have wanted to kill your husband at one time or another? And God got you through it. Now, us men, we're a lot more patient, so we've never wanted to kill our wives. you got to remember the Lord. I look back at this church sometimes. This place don't make sense. God, 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 i got to wrap this up. God's got us to remember the Lord. Hey, hey, and then fight for your cause. Look what he said to everyone else. He said, don't fight for yourself but instead for your brothers. That's the message version. He said, if you don't want to fight, you're tired, then you don't fight for you. You fight for the person next to you. He said, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, fight for your homes. Listen to me. Christianity is not a playground. Living the life you were created for is not a playground. Freedom is not a playground. It's a battleground. And if you're not willing to fight for it, you will never experience it. You gotta fight. You gotta fight. I fight in everything I do. Here's why. Because I want my kids to know they can achieve anything that they've ever wanted to do in their life. I fight for every business endeavor I do. Why? Because I refuse to build somebody else's dreams. I joke all the time, I'd rather work 100 hours a week for myself than 40 hours a week for somebody else. I fight for my marriage because no one else is going to put up with me. She might stab me a couple of times, but she's going to make sure she don't hit an artery. It's a fight. I want to provide I want my wife to be able to do whatever she wants to do. If she wants to go start a business that becomes the biggest in the world, great. But if she doesn't want to ever do that and she wants to stay at home and she does not want to do this, let me take her and eat bonbons all day, then I fight where she can stay home and eat bonbons all day. I want my kids to look back and see memories that we were able to do stuff, achieve stuff. Those are my calls. 
We've got to fight for your calls. I don't know what it is that motivates you to chase your dream, but chase it. Will you put that point back up, Xander, that number two, fight for your calls? That's vital. What's your calls? I don't know what it is. Your calls is probably different than my calls. It's good. What's your cause? Fight for it. If it's worth having, it's worth fighting for. I'm going to fight you over some things. I'm going to fight you over this church. I'm going to fight you over living the life that I want to live. I'm going to fight you over doing what I want to do and my family does. If you don't like it, don't be part of it. But criticism is going to come from the outside and the inside. Remember the Lord and fight for your cause. Be so stead strong in your purpose and your fresh start that none of those people or none of those things can frustrate you or discourage you. Because it's going to come. If you're so dumb that you think it's not going... People say, do you deal with all that because you're so controversial? No. There's a lot of controversial people that don't deal with it. I deal with it. Because I'm winning and people don't want to see you win. If you're not dealing with, and it might not be, mine's probably a little more public because I'm more public. Yours might be more private, but I guarantee you it's there. I wish I could be private. It's just not in me. But it still would be there. I still hear vendors complaining. Other people complaining. Opposition's coming. You can't avoid it. You can only be responsible for how you deal with it. 26 days in, Nehemiah knew he needed to rally the troops and refresh his own memory. You need to constantly be filling yourself with the things it takes to fill that vision. Let's pray.